Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 656 of our three-year journey through the Word of God. And we come now to Esther chapter 3 as the plot thickens. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray that you would write your word on our hearts and minds. Help us to see the truth and know it. Help us to receive the truth and believe it. Help us to follow Jesus more faithfully and carefully because of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Esther, chapter 3. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him and all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants, who were at the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to him, to them, they told Haman, in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Mordecai was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So, as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots, before Haman, day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not in the king's profit, to the king's profit, to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they might put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps, and to the governors over all the provinces, and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus, and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces, with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, men and women, and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. 
a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Oh, Haman. Haman the Agagite, son of Hamadoth, one of the most infamous people in world history, in Jewish history, and in biblical history. He is uh, very proud, very rich. I mean, he's able to offer to put 10,000 talents of silver into the king's treasuries. The king is going to be indebted to this man. He is so wealthy, right? The fact that he's an Agagite, Shez says that he is the descendant of Agag, who was king of the Amalekites and was one of the ancient enemies of Israel. Agag was defeated by King Saul, and he uh, was then killed by the prophet Samuel. Remember that when God told Saul to wipe out the Amalekites, and he wiped out all the Amalekites but kept all the livestock and kept King Agag alive, and then Samuel came and killed King Agag. This is... Uh, this is foreshadowing to this. You're supposed to recall back. Oh yeah, I remember Agag from the days of Samuel. So Haman and Mordecai have this conflict um, that is a many, many generations later continuation of the conflict between Agag and Saul and Samuel, the prophet. He hates Jewish people. And he has one particular thing that sort of sparks this and that is that, that uh, Haman, uh, I'm sorry, that Mordecai refused to bow down before Haman. It was the king's command. You should bow down and pay homage. But a God-fearing man is not going to bow down to another man. This is very similar to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or the story of Daniel. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, they would not bow down to the gold statue made in the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And then in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel would not pray to King Darius. He would only pray to the Lord. This is the same kind of issue here. Mordecai is honoring God by refusing to bow down and pay homage to any mere man because he's only going to bow down and pay homage to the Lord. So again, even though the Lord is not explicitly mentioned here, Mordecai says, I'm a Jew. He doesn't say, I can only worship the Lord God. That's not explicitly in the text. There seems to be a very careful uh, writing of this to, to leave the name of God silent so that we can see him at work. But we, we should know Mordecai is a man of conviction and he's not going to transgress the law of God in order to obey an earthly king. He's not going to bow down and give homage to anyone other than the Lord. And Haman can't stand this. But it's almost a year before he does anything about it because they keep casting lots, casting pure. At the end of this book, we're going to find out that this story is the origin of a Jewish festival called Purim. And Purim has to do with the casting of lots. And it sort of has its roots here in this idea that uh, they're casting lots, but then finally, whatever it was they were looking for, it finally shows up when they're casting lots in the 12th month, the month of Adar. And that's when 
Haman finally goes into the king and tells him, I would like to be able to obliterate these Jews. I would like to be able to commit this genocide. He says, the reason is they don't follow your laws, O king. And it's true. There was a decree of the king that a Jewish man did not follow. That doesn't mean that no Jewish people followed any of the decrees of the king. If there were decrees of the king that were not in contradiction with the law of God, they would follow them, but they weren't going to sin against God just to obey men. So that's the reason that's given, and it, he's given permission to do that. Now, he writes to all of these people in all of these provinces, and he writes to them this letter that says, you need to go out on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is coming up soon. We're already in the 12th month here the 13th day of the 12th month, and you're going to plunder their goods and you're going to kill and annihilate all of them. You have instructions, you have permission, you're going to go do it. Now we should understand that to find a large number of willing people who would be willing to say, yes, let's go out and kill the Jews and steal all of their things, there had to have been widespread anti-Semitism within the Persian Empire. These people, there had to be hundreds, thousands of people who were ready and eager and just waiting, chomping at the bit to kill Jewish people and to steal their goods. Because this goes out, and as we'll find out later as the chapters unfold, there were a large number of people who were ready to carry out this command quite happily. So even though the trigger is just Haman, the Agagite, and his being offended by the actions of Mordecai, the reality is it exposes this deep-seated and widespread anti-Semitism that is present throughout the Persian Empire. God's people in this world are always hated and despised by the world because we don't go along with the ways of the world when the ways of the world contradict the ways of God. At least that's the way it should be, right? I understand it's not always that way. Sometimes God's people happily go along with the ways of the world, even when they violate the ways of God and they fit right in. And so the world's not going to hate you if you do that. Like the world's not going to hate you if you just get right in line and do what everybody else does. You share the same kind of posts on Facebook. You follow after the same kinds of trends. You watch the same kind of television shows. You listen to the same kind of music. You use the same kind of language. You follow after the same kinds of goals and dreams and visions and aspirations. You're just another person who's living like everybody else. The world is not going to say, oh, you're annoying and I don't like you. But as soon as you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I, I have other priorities. I'm going to pursue the Lord. I'm going to honor God. Then the world starts saying, oh, you think you're holier than thou. Oh, you're a self-righteous person and blah, blah, blah. And they immediately start piling on. So the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So there ha that's kind of a measure to say, if nobody is upset with me about my Christian faith at any level, if nobody's calling me out, calling me names, making fun of me, teasing me, ridiculing me, if, if, if I'm not suffering at all, am I really following Jesus? Do I really desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? I think that's a question worth asking ourselves before the Lord. And then we need to say, well, where have I gone along with the king's command of our cultural norms even when they violate God's law. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clear call of your word to be different. You call us not to conform 
to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Renew our minds in your word, in your truth, by your spirit, and help us to be transformed people and not conformed people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's Esther chapter 3. Join me tomorrow for Esther chapter 4. Have a blessed day in the Lord.